On this week's episode, I had the privilege of interviewing the tick guy, Dr. Thomas Mather, who is here to share with us all about ticks and what we need to know to keep ourselves and our family safe when we are spending time outdoors. I hope this interview is super helpful for you. I know it was so informative for me. And while it might not be the most fun topic to think about, it is super important. And I am really thankful that I get this opportunity to share it with you. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to Happy Outdoor Families, the podcast that encourages and equips families to spend more time exploring and playing together outside. I'm your host, Emily Eisenbarger, and I hope that as you listen in each week, you will feel inspired and excited about reconnecting your kids and yourselves with the outdoors. Each Monday, I will be bringing you a grown-up episode featuring conversations about all things outdoor play and adventure related. Every Wednesday, make sure you tune in for an episode just for the kids to listen to with their grown-ups, where I will bring you a simple play invitation to get you started with some fun, open-ended outdoor play. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. One of the nation's leading tick experts, Dr. Thomas Mather serves as the director of the University of Rhode Island's Center for Vector-Borne Disease and its Tick Encounter Resource Center. His work in tick ecology, tick control, and anti-tick vaccine development is nationally and internationally recognized, and the Tick Encounter Resource Center's interactive website, tickencounter.org, is fast becoming the nation's leading resource for tick bite protection and tick-borne disease prevention. I am thrilled to have Dr. Mather with us today to teach us all a little bit about why tick awareness is important and how we can keep ourselves and our families safe. So Dr. Mather, welcome to Happy Outdoor Families. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to um, hopefully make some families a little happier. Yes. Yeah. I have been very excited for this interview and learning a little bit more. And it's really coming at a perfect time for me because we are actually getting ready in a few days to go on a family camping trip. So, you know, this interview is going to help me get all prepped for that and uh, ready for that tick prevention. So why don't we get started by providing a little bit of context for everyone listening um, about why we should be thinking about ticks and what some of the main concerns might be with tick bites. Why should we be concerned about ticks? Well, ticks are responsible for transmitting the greatest variety and majority of arthropod-borne diseases in the United States and probably throughout the world. Um, but in the United States, you know, we, we get all kind of hepped up about mosquito-borne diseases, but tick-borne diseases far, far outweigh the number of mosquito-borne diseases that Americans contract each year. So that's uh, one reason to sort of think about ticks. I mean, certainly mosquitoes are terrible because they transmit malaria and there's more cases of mosquito-borne diseases worldwide, but in the United States, there's more cases by far of tick-borne diseases. So, you know, and they transmit a 
wide variety of germs that cause disease. So it's not just Lyme disease that everybody has mm -hmm. heard about, but there's many different types of germs and diseases that come from the bite of a, of a tick. And it's not just a single kind of tick. There's actually nine fairly common human and pet biting ticks in the United States. There's three that are extremely abundant. Um, and especially right now, they're all out. Um, and we get into that a, a little bit later. And each one of those transmits its own group of germs. So you have to really kind of know what kind of tick it is before you can really start to make assumptions of what disease you might, you might pick up from that tick bite. And so that's something that I, I th think is really important. And we have tools on our Tick Encounter website to help people. Um, we have a, a, a one called Tick Spotters, for instance, that people can actually take hopefully a clear picture of the tick. The top side helps me the most. And um, with that, I can get back to them usually within 24 hours and let them know what kind of tick it is, what it might transmit. I can't, I don't have the tick, so I don't know specifically. Not every tick is infected with a germ, by the way, but, you know, a, different ticks have different germs. And so that's the sort of the entree point for people to start thinking about ticks. Ticks have germs. They bite because they feed on blood. They can make you sick, but different types of ticks transmit different germs. So I don't know if that's a good launching point for the rest of the discussion, but I think that um, for me, that's what I'd like people to know first. And then we can deal with all of the things like what do you do about it and how do we manage it and how do we remove the tick safely and everything. The first step yeah. is kind of what we thought about, which is just knowing, knowing the types of ticks that you might encounter and what they can do to you. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I, I would love to talk a little bit later on about more of those resources that you're mentioning with TickEncounter.org and some of those things that people can look into for their for their geographic areas and, and what they might want to be aware of with where they are living. Maybe we can talk a little bit more generally about tick behavior and what we can do to prevent tick bites from happening in the first place, regardless of what type of ticks we're, we're facing. So maybe we can start off and kind of talk about what types of environments are likely to harbor ticks when you're heading outside. What are the spaces that, that you might be most likely to get a tick crawling up your leg? That goes back to what we started with, which is different ticks have different germs and different ticks live in different environments. And so it, you know, it then d depends and different ticks live in different regions of the country as well. And so knowing again, what kind of tick um, is in your area will help pin down like which areas are more likely to be tick prone and tick risky and which areas may be less so. And so it's really kind of important. I'll give you a scenario here in New England. We have um, two main types of ticks, black-legged ticks, sometimes called deer ticks. They carry the Lyme disease germ and about five other germs that can make people sick with other things. And American dog ticks. American dog ticks are um, also infected, but only with germs like that cause the Rocky Mountain spotted fever or something like that, not the Lyme disease germ. Black-legged ticks are more likely to be found along shady edges. 
while American dog ticks are more likely to be found in open grassy field at fields. And so there's two different things. So if you're, let's say, going on a hike and you're thinking you're tick safe, it depends on which tick you're talking about because you're likely to be in open grassy fields at some part of the hike and walking through the woods at another part of the hike. <laughs> and so your risk kind of changes as you go along. Um, so I think that maybe it'll be helpful if we break it down just a little bit first. So most people may not know that ticks come in three active life stages. One that's called the larvae. They're tiny, they have six legs and they hatch out of eggs. Then they take a blood meal and grow and become nymphs. And those nymphs have eight legs. So there's gonna be a different look to them. They're a little bit bigger. They're generally about the size of a poppy seed though. So they're kind of small and easily overlooked. And then those nymphs take a blood meal and they grow. When they grow, they become either the adult male or the adult female. And so each of those stages is going to be in slightly different parts of the environment that they prefer. So if you think about it from the ticks perspective, I think, which is important, they're going to be where they have the best likelihood of getting on the host that they want to get on to steal that blood meal. And so American dog ticks, their preferred natural host is going to be an animal like a raccoon. So all of a sudden your, your family has to, your happy family has to think like a, an animal, you know, to know what they're going to encounter. It turns out American dog ticks don't get on deer. They don't care for deer. They care for sort of what we call meso mammals, animals like raccoons, skunks, possums, and so forth. Black-legged tick adults prefer a large animal like a white-tailed deer. And so just even there, so they're going to be in the habitat at, and they're going to be waiting for a host at the height that best gives them the opportunity to get on that host, right? So that's what adaptation is, right? They're, they're in it to win it. And what for them to win is to succeed in getting a host that they can take a blood meal from. And so think about what's going to be the biggest part of a white-tailed deer. It's going to be sort of the belly and the haunch and maybe the head that's dipping down to eat. That's what they're going to latch on to. So they're going to latch on at about knee level to an adult. That's where they're going to be hanging out in the, on the edge, on the shrubbery. But the nymphs prefer to get, and the larvae prefer to get on small rodents. And so they're going to be where the small rodents mostly go, which is in the leaf litter on the ground. So now you've all of a sudden kind of opened up things to think about for protection as well. So you need to know the time of year because the adult ticks aren't out all times of the year and the nymphs and larvae aren't out all times of the year. However, there are ticks likely out all times of the year, just in different stages. Yeah. And so that's, that's good to know. And it's good to think about because I would have initially thought, okay, tall grasses, um, and, th and, and areas like that. But that's, that's really good to know that you know, different life stages and different types of ticks are going to be in, in different areas and different heights. And so it would be important to start with an awareness of what stage ticks are in for your area and what kind of ticks are there as well. Right. So for you, let's take you as an example. You're going on a camping trip um, next week. And right now, I'm not sure where you're going, 
we have a tool on Tick Encounter that could tell you what ticks are likely to be active, where you're planning to go. But let's just say you're going locally. And um, now we're, we're thinking about, all right, so what ticks are going to be out there? So Lone Star ticks are going to be really active. They have nymphs and adults. The nymphs are lower in the leaf litter, even though they like to get on deer, they tend to be a little bit lower in the in the vegetation. And then the adults will be a little bit higher. So when you start thinking about where are you walking and likely to brush up against these ticks where they're hanging out waiting for you to come by, okay, I, I want to walk not there, right? So they're going to be mostly on edges of trails, hanging out on the shrubs and tall grass. And they're going to be sort of in mixed sun and shade, Lone Star ticks. American dog ticks are more likely to be more in the sun than in the shade, but they're going to be at the height of a raccoon, right? So that's a little bit lower on your leg. Both of them are going to get on your leg, but if you happen to come across these black-legged ticks, they're going to be in the nymphal stage, and they're going to get on your shoes and crawl up your legs from your shoes. And so when we start to partition it out, it says, oh, okay. I think the important piece to add to that is some people think they drop out of trees onto your head. Uh-huh. So they do not do that. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> and so if you're fixated on that, you're going to be busy protecting your head while the ticks are crawling up from your feet or, or along your knees um, where they really were. Right. Gotcha, and so. Yeah. People think that because, well, I found the tick on my head, so it must have dropped out of a tree. Right. But, you know, they crawl up. All ticks crawl up because on their naturally adapted hosts, um, the skin is thinner and there's more vascularization, more blood mm -hmm. in the head region around the ears and everything. The skin is thinner, easier to bite, easier to steal blood. So mm -hmm. these ticks have it figured out. Yeah. Um, how, how they can succeed in getting their blood meal. And people are just accidental interlopers into their, into their life. You know, they, they, they're, they're not really focused on people. They'll bite people because they will generally bite anything, sure. but um, they do have preferred hosts and they know how to act best to get blood from those hosts. So let's say we've, we've kind of looked into our region. We've kind of figured out what, what the most likely ticks are going to be for, for where we're at. And um, we're going to that area, right? So we're going into environment where we know, okay, it's, it's likely we might encounter some ticks while we're out yeah. on this trail. What are some of the best things that we can do to then protect ourselves and prevent bites from happening? Well, so some of it takes a little pre-planning. Mm -hmm. So it's a good thing you're asking me this question now rather than next week. But um, we have solutions even for that. So we, we actually are just getting ready to launch. We're very excited about our Be Ready for Ticks campaign. Mm -hmm. So Be Ready for Ticks. And so the first element that we're creating is a sign to be, let's say if families are going out and they're going hiking on a trail, mm -hmm. they come, they haven't been thinking about ticks. They've been thinking about the hike, right? Sure. That's often what happens. We're going on a hike. The kids are all hyped. Okay, great. We're going on a hike. We didn't think about ticks. You get there and all of a sudden you see this sign saying, oh, there may be ticks here. Now, what are you going to do? Turn around and go home? 
No. So you're probably going to charge ahead anyway, but you don't really know how to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. And so this sign um, is going to come equipped with a QR code that mm. you can open up a page, a be ready for ticks page. And so we're giving you things that you can do right now, things that you can do when you get home, things that you can do if you find a tick, and finally, things that you could do before you go the next time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so maybe you're catching us at the what can we do before we go the next time stage. Yeah. So we've just talked about um, the ticks that might be there and where they're going to be in the habitat. So mm -hmm. you you don't really know. You've not been there before. You don't know where that trail is going to lead you, right? But you can bet that most trails are going to lead you deeper into tick habitat, Okay. some kind of tick habitat. All right. So, and there's an excitement about that. And then there's a risk about that as well. That's fine. We can deal, we can deal with that because we're going to be ready for ticks with these four steps that we just talked about. Okay. But what are, what are we going to do? So we've just talked about the fact that there could be nymphs out. What can we do to keep the nymphs from latching onto our shoes and crawling up our legs undetected and getting into places like in our groin or someplace that we're not likely to check first thing. Right. Right. All right. So what can we do? So you can have treated shoes, permethrin treated shoes. So you could buy a can of permethrin, spray your shoes, and it'll last for about a month on your shoes. And so that's the easiest first step. You want to spray your socks too? Great. Or you can buy treated socks. That That's that's good good level of protection for nymphs and larvae getting on at foot level. Well, what about the adult stage ticks that want to get on a raccoon, but now I'm a surrogate for a raccoon walking by? Well, one thing you can do is walk in the middle of the trail mm -hmm. because for the most part, the middle of the trail doesn't have much vegetation to get up on. So as a raccoon walks by, the tick might miss it because all, the, all they might encounter are the four little feet of the raccoon. But there's that great big body of the raccoon. I'd rather latch on to that. There's more of a target for me because I'm just a tiny little tick. So I'm going to be up at the height of the body of that raccoon, which is maybe, you know, eight or 10 inches up. So they're going to be on the grass on the side, not necessarily in the middle. So let's walk in the middle with permethrin treated shoes and we're going to be a lot safer. So that's what we can do to get ready for the next, the next hike. Okay. So the piece about, so what if, what do you do if you find a tick? You, you could, because you're getting prepared, you could make sure that you're ready for that potential to happen. Maybe it won't happen, mm -hmm. but maybe it will. So do you have a good pointy tweezer for removing that tick? And when you remove it, where are you going to put it? So do you have, you know, our, our life these days is so easy. They made Ziploc bags exactly to put ticks in, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so make sure you have a little snack-sized Ziploc bag and a pointy tweezer along with you okay. so that you're ready to take a tick off. So what are you going to do with that tick? If you found it, you're going to take a picture and send it to tick spotters so that we can tell you, you know, confirm for you what kind of tick it is and what the likely infection rate is in your area. So it's a very tailored response message. And so then you could, you know, you can't count necessarily on your, your, um, health practitioner to know 
these answers. An entomologist is an important team member here. Mm-hmm. And, and so you could tell your doctor, well, this tick is this, and it could carry X, Y, or Z. And then the doctor knows what to do. But they may not get the, the tick ID exactly correctly. So if you haven't done all of this beforehand, and you just barged out and entered the wilderness, and you s- think all of a sudden, oh, there might be ticks on this trail, mm-hmm. um, and there probably will be, then you can walk in the center of the trail and tuck your pants into your socks okay. and tuck your shirt tail into your pants. You know, oftentimes the, you know, people don't like the look of the pants into their socks or they're wearing shorts or something like that. But what they completely overlook is tucking their shirt tail in. Mm, Okay. And a tick that latches on at knee level can be up underneath your shirt in four or five minutes and you haven't paid any attention to it. And so now it's like gets caught up usually, you know, uh, wherever the clothing sort of binds. It's not like they're looking for dark, moist places. It's just those happen to coincide with where the clothes bind up. Mm -hmm. And so it stops the tick's upward movement. But, um, you know, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but knowing that you can protect yourself a little bit at least, by tucking clothes in and walking in the center of a trail, that's a good first step. Yeah. We took a kids, we had a, a group once that was a, a family hiking club, kind of an out, out outing. And so we first showed them where the ticks were hanging out on the trail and they could all, all the kids collected ticks because they could see them. I pointed out where they were hanging out on the trail. Mm-hmm. And so then we asked the question, well, so how are we going to keep from getting ticks? They all got it. You, you don't get close to the edge, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And so fine. And so then they, they said, okay, we're going to start our hike now. You know, it was a tick hike. And so they were thinking about ticks. And so they went single file, bolted way ahead of all of the parents and everything down, you know, they probably got 200 yards ahead of us. Uh-huh. And there was a, a little sign or a, a kiosk with information at this trail and all of the kids. And of course the sign is on the edge and all of the kids were sort of gathered around the sign. And I said to the, you know, as we looked ahead at the kids, I said to the parents, so w- what do you notice? And every parent said they're standing where the ticks are. Uh, so it was fine to walk in the middle of the trail, but then they stopped oh, yeah. <laughs> and then they got to where the ticks are. So the message didn't quite go all the way to finish. But as a parent, you could make that guidance. The kids will think you're spoiling their fun, <laughs> but um, you know, it's, you're keeping them safe. And so it's your responsibility to help, help with that. And so these are just th- things that we've, that we've noticed that I think can be very helpful. And the point that I made to those parents was, so this week you were going on a special tick hike with the tick guy. Um, next week you're going to go on another hike. Are you going to think about ticks? Are you going to remember to think about ticks? Because the ticks will be there on all of your hikes, Mm -hmm. but you're not on a tick hike. So you're not thinking about ticks. I think it's really imperative to think about ticks um, whenever you're being an outsider and just be prepared, not be panicked, not be, you know, concerned, just be ready for ticks. So we actually, I just bought a bottle of permethrin 
and we're planning on spraying our shoes and spraying our socks. And that was, I had not actually heard of that prior to this year. Um, that was something you could do. Or like you said, you can buy those treat- clothes that are already treated, right? There's several yeah. companies that you can't can buy. That. Yeah, you can't buy treated shoes. Uh-huh. You have to do that yourself. But um, the most important thing that someone can do, they're used to applying a little bit of repellent sort of spritz spritz. Uh-huh. Um, you need to actually make the shoes wetted and let them dry before you use them. So thinking a little bit ahead. So in your case, you might spray them, you know, the night before. You could do it a week before. It doesn't really matter. Uh-huh. And just let them let them dry. So that then when they put them on, the way I've managed my children over the years has been I just, on a Saturday, you know, our, our, our nymph season is May, June, July, and August. So four months. Mm-hmm. Four months I have to worry about the little tiny nymphs crawling on their shoes. So the 1st of May, the 1st of June, the 1st of July, the 1st of August, I'd on a Saturday morning, I'd go through the house, collect everybody's shoes that they wear outside and lay them out and spray them. By the time they woke up, I had already, they had dried. I had already put them back where I found them. And all I knew was that they all were wearing treated shoes mm-hmm. and they were protected, right? It's easy, really easy to do, especially if you have a pet, you're going to treat them once a month. Just do all of your tick stuff all at the same time. Yeah. Now, I know a lot of parents can be a little bit wary when it comes to their kids and any kind of, you know, chemical or even bug sprays that they're using. Um, I think there's a, like a heightened concern when it comes to, to spraying something with small children. So with permethrin, um, or even with other bug sprays, like with, um, DEET or picaridin, um, are there concerns that you see with using these products with kids at any age or or is it totally safe if once we're spraying it on and letting it dry? When you say the products using these products, I have to sort of unpack that a little bit. So permethrin, once you've sprayed it on and it's dried is actually doesn't you know, it doesn't really get released in any kind of an amount other than what might be toxic to a bug that lands on it. Okay. Right. So we've done studies with outdoor workers that wear treated clothing um, for their whole outdoor work experience, and they did not have any higher level of permethrin metabolites in their urine than the average person that wasn't an outdoor worker wearing treated clothes. So it's it's on the clothing. It does come off, but very little of it comes off mm-hmm. into the skin and into the body. So I can't say that's true for DEET mm-hmm. and Picaridin, but it's important to note that those two products have a very short active life once you've applied them against ticks. Mm-hmm. So if your hike is going to be 30 minutes, maybe you could add that to the whole thing or whatever. But if you're out much longer than that, that really, unless you then reapply it again and again and again, you're, you're not going to get the kind of protection that mm-hmm. you would get if you had this sort of long-lasting permethrin treatment in the clothing. Okay, so that's interesting. That's actually really good to know. So the permethrin is really what's giving you probably the best protection that you can get when it comes to ticks. For, yeah, for personal protection, it's the way to go, um, I think. Um, it's easier for one yeah. You're not spraying it directly on the skin because you're spraying it on the clothing or the shoes and it's dry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's 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 definitely very helpful to know. Um so let's say we've we've gone out, we've had our hike. 
and come back and <clears throat> we ch we're checking for ticks in all those areas where we think we might have had uh, you know, a tick creep up and hide away on us. Um, and we find a tick and it's attached. And so you mentioned before having the pointy tweezers. Hopefully we've, we've got something with us. Um, so I did want to talk a little bit about tick removal, you know, what's, what's the best and simplest way to remove a tick, and maybe also touch on some of the different uh, methods and, and bust some myths about what you should do when you have a tick attached to you. So, so tell us, what is the way to remove a tick? Yeah, so we, we feel that pointy tweezers are the most reliable strategy for all stages of ticks. Think about a tiny nymph the size of a poppy seed. You know, it's never been a good idea to touch a hot object to the back end of a tick, hoping that it would be removed, especially not something that's the size of a poppy seed, right? Right. Never been a good idea. You don't really want to do anything that might cause there to be pressure from the back of the tick where the germs are out through the little straw that's attached to your skin and into your, into your body. Mm -hmm. So having a pointy tweezer that you can grab the tick right at the mouth where the mouth is attached to the skin. Mm -hmm. So that means a pretty pointy tweezer and avoid squeezing the back part while you're removing the tick is kind of important. Mm -hmm. So we have pictures that show you bringing the tick in sort of from the, the, tweezers in sort of from the side okay. so that you're not squeezing the back part. Most people don't have such a pair of tweezers. We see so many, you know, people proudly showing us their tick with their tweezers and we see the tweezers are squeezing the back end of the tick. Mm -hmm. So if your tweezer can only squeeze the back end of the tick to get it out, it's not pointy enough. Okay. So do you, you want need have, to get a pointy tweezer. Yeah. So you want to have the, those really pointy tweezers so you can get up just really close right, there to where right to where the skin the skin is and it and it needs to be pointy enough that you could grab a poppy seed so you can okay. just try that you know dig into your your spice drawer and pull out poppy seeds and practice picking them up in fact this is something that we learned and i wrote a blog about it on tick encounter um, kids tend to be more scared of the metal object coming at them from the with the parent than the tick itself uh -huh. and so we found that way one way to diffuse that is to let them hold the tweezer let them pick little things up for a few minutes and mm -hmm. then say okay now let's take that tick out oh, okay that's a good tip yeah while while they read a book or something like that yeah and it works a lot better. I mean, I have a story it's actually called true confessions because my little granddaughter had a tick and we had we had taken her over from the parents and it was late and she was tired and we didn't do a tick check because where they lived it didn't seem like there were ticks but she was flicking the back of her ear saying grandpa grandpa and I should it should have been like you know I kind of ran my finger there but I didn't turn the light on it was late and mm -hmm. everything and so the next morning she did this again while we were eating breakfast grandpa grandpa and there was a tick so it had been there all night long and I'm like oh man I should have known better so it even happens to tick guys, but <laughs> I knew that my little granddaughter was prone to histrionics. And so we were in the restaurant and I said, okay, so let's go on a little adventure. We'll go back to the room for a minute. And, um, you know, so I kind of laid some things out and I said, here, we're going to, here's some tweezers, pick that up. And so she was busy picking the things up. And then, so then, you know, I gave her a book to look at 
when when the time was right and I kind of got her down and she was sort of laughing and giggling and everything. So, you know, we had a good time of it rather than I've just seen horror stories of parents chasing their kids around, traumatizing them with pointy tweezers because they don't know what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. They just see that pointy metal object and think, oh, what are you going to do to me? Yeah. So I, I would highly advise parents, especially with small children, um, to think about think about that mm-hmm. and be ready to do something like that as well. Mm-hmm. Now, I've seen some people suggest online that you should cover a tick up with Vaseline. Or, yeah, or not a good idea. Yeah, not a good idea. If someone were to smother you, you would be gasping mm-hmm. at some point. Now, ticks don't gasp. I know that, but by covering it and waiting for it to suffocate and then back out, thinking that it's going to back out, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, you want to get it off quicker rather than not, you know, because yeah. every minute it's in, it's if it's infected, it's potentially transmitting more germs. So you don't want to do anything to delay the removal once you've seen it. The, th- the thing about a lot of these sort of folklore ways of removing ticks is they work on things like male dog ticks, but Uh they would not work on a black-legged tick or a lone star tick. Mm -hmm. So um, look at the mouth part, the length of the mouth part. So black-legged ticks and lone star ticks have really kind of relatively long mouth parts compared to American dog ticks that are shorter. And then couple that with the biology of what a male tick does. So a male tick has to bite briefly, maybe 10 or 12 hours, in order to stimulate sperm production. And once the male tick has produced some sperm, it doesn't need to feed any longer. It's done what it needed. And so it unlatches by itself Hmm. and goes wandering around looking for a female tick to mate with. Okay, great. So we've got it really easy to pull these male ticks out. So if you don't know the difference between a female and a male tick, and you've done one of these methods like putting lavender oil or soap or something, Mm -hmm. and you've done it on a male tick, it was going to back out if you just blew on it with bad breath, right? And so it's like, you know, so, but because it worked, you're reinforced. And the next time you'll find it's a female lone star tick and it doesn't work and you'd be like oh man now and then you botch the operation then all of a sudden you've got ticks in three pieces as you've been ripping them out of the skin because they weren't going to back out they tick mouth parts and we have a nice picture online about that this is the part that sticks inside of you Uh it's got backward pointing barbs and then it spits some stuff that turns into cement to lock it into place oh wow because you think about a tick when it has been finally successful to find something to suck blood from, it doesn't want to lose that. It's not like a mosquito that can fly to another host and find it. So it it is adapted to get locked in place. And only when it's full of blood does it then secrete something to dissolve that cement and soften those backward pointing barbs that it's stuck into Mm. so that it can then move out. But the male ticks don't, don't have to do that because they're designed to actually come out and then go find um, go find a female. Hmm. So, so stick with the pointy uh, tweezers, exactly, and, and and pulling out with right. So kind of just pull slowly. Please and- never think, never try to touch a hot object. That's never uh. been a good idea. 
Yeah. You mostly end up burning somebody and unsuccessfully removing the tick. And then you have a singed tick that's going to fall apart when you finally do get it out. And I won't be able to recognize it if you send it to tick spotters. Yeah. So then you're stuck with a burn and an unrecognizable (laughs) tick. (laughs) So um, I know that there's, when I've seen or been part of conversations where people are talking about removing ticks, there's a lot of emphasis on make sure you get the head out. Don't leave any of the tick behind. (laughs) And so can we talk about that for a minute? So if you've pulled this tick out and you realize, oh, maybe I've left, maybe something's been left behind, should we be worried about that? Yeah. So that's a great question. Actually, last Saturday's Facebook post on Tick Encounter talked about that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the number one fear that people have. They ask in their, when they send us a picture, can you tell if I got the whole head out? So the head is actually bigger than the mouth part. The only thing that goes inside your skin is something that we call the hypostome. Hypostome is the barbed part that goes in. It's pretty small, um, but it's longer in black-legged ticks and lone star ticks than dog ticks. And that's where the breakpoint often is. Sometimes the breakpoint can be at the whole head capsule, but usually it's just the, just the um, hypostone that potentially breaks off because it's cemented into the skin, mm-hmm. right? And so if that breaks off, just leave it. Don't go rushing to the emergency room to, to cut it out or anything. You'll, you'll introduce more trauma and more risk for secondary infection doing that. It's just like a little splinter. Mm-hmm. If, if there's a visible part, which is the whole head capsule, it's still fine. It, it'll fall off. You can pick at it if you want, but there's really no need to because the germs in the tick are actually back in the body part. Hmm right? Mm -hmm. So the germs are in the body part. And once you've broken that connection, think about, you know, duct work and everything. Once you've broken the pipes that go from the salivary glands to into the little straw and into the skin, um, there's no more germs going to come in. Mm -hmm. So just disinfect the area with some alcohol and um, leave it alone. All right. Well, I'm sure that that is reassuring for a lot of people to hear. Because <laughs> I think that's that's one of those things that's become kind of a widespread idea that you have yeah. to make sure it's all it's, out. It, we see it as the number one fear that people yeah. have about tick removal is that they've left the head in and, oh, the consequences. Yeah, Some people yeah. think it's going to regrow and make a new tick again. Some mm. people think that it's going to be a source of infection. Um, so yeah, there's, there's all kinds of thoughts out there. So when we're going out, so first line of defense is having that permethrin treated shoes, um, you know, and and pants and pants. A lot of people will opt for, you know, there's not much sexy about, um, permethrin treated pants or shoes, (laughs) Uh but with shirts, you can make them different colors and different styles and everything. So there, the hype will be on buying the whole unit. And the least important thing from a tick, from a tick standpoint is the shirt. Sure. It won't hurt, but build your protection from the ground up. Mm -hmm. Um, right. So do think about tick protection sort of from the ground up Mm -hmm. and maybe mosquito protection from the top down, Okay, but it's, it's a little bit different way of thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so we've got that, that protection and then it's helpful to have with us the pointy tweezers 
maybe an alcohol swab and a Ziploc bag just in case. That would be very good. You'd be ready for ticks at that point. All right. Well, this has all been so helpful and I am excited that I think our listeners will feel more confident and ready to go out and feel like they've they've done what they needed to do. And so really appreciate you being here and, and sharing some of this information. Yeah. So final word is just be ready for ticks. Well, we've heard it from the tick guy, Dr. Mather. We appreciate you so much. Thanks again. No, thank you. Before we end today, I want to again touch on some of the excellent resources that you can find via tickencounter.org. Earlier in the show, Dr. Mather mentioned the tick spotter tool that allows you to send in a picture and get an ID of a tick, which is so helpful. And there's also that really helpful interactive map that will tell you which ticks are most active in your location and where you might find those ticks. Two other really great features that I want to point out Tick Encounter has a Google Calendar. So this is a digital calendar that you can add to your mobile device. And then a few times a month, you'll get little calendar reminders about what you should be doing to prevent ticks at that time. It's super helpful, so you just don't even have to think about it. Lastly, Tick Encounter runs a very informative blog, as well as a Facebook page where you can see regular updates and helpful bits of information like why you don't need to be stressed about that little mouthpiece being stuck in your skin. If you run an outdoor group or are just a family that frequents the outdoors and you want to help those in your circle be tick ready, the last thing that I want to mention that you can do is become a tick encounter partner. This provides you with some really helpful resources that you can distribute and you can also get some great tick prevention gear while you are supporting the Tick Encounter organization. So to sum it all up, my key takeaways from this very helpful interview, first, know your ticks. Know what ticks live in your area and where they are likely to be in this season. Second, prevention. Treat your shoes with permethrin as well as other clothes, if you prefer, to stop ticks in their tracks when they try to get to your skin. Tucking pants into socks and shirts into pants will also do a lot to prevent those bites. Third, know that if you do get a tick attached, the best way to remove it is with a pair of pointy tweezers right at the skin where it is attached. Don't try to smother it, burn it, or essential oil the tick out. And if a bit of the tick gets left behind, don't be alarmed, it's actually not a big deal. And fourth, if you've removed a tick, Stick it in a Ziploc bag, snap a picture, and send it in to Dr. Mather and his colleagues at Tick Encounter if you need help identifying the tick and deciding if there's anything more that you need to do. I hope that this interview was as helpful for you as it was for me and that you feel more confident and knowledgeable and more prepared to deal with ticks if you do run into them while you are playing outside. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen into the podcast this week. If you feel like the podcast has been helpful for you and you want to help us to get more listeners to be aware of Happy Outdoor Families, take a minute and leave a rating and a review. As always, you can also find me over on Instagram at Happy Outdoor Families, where I would love to connect with you and get to know you better and have you be a part of our community over there. 
If you have young children, don't forget to tune in on Wednesday when we will have another segment of Happy Outdoor Playtime where I offer a simple outdoor play invitation for young children and their grown-ups to listen to together. And for everyone, have a great week. I hope you have some really wonderful and relaxing time outside in your favorite nature spaces.